Do you want to reach your next level in business and health? Do you need help unlocking your potential and taking action? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Lisa Pizik Show, a podcast that empowers women to change physically, emotionally, and financially and live a life they love. Now, here's your host, Lisa Pizik. All right. Hello and welcome to the Lisa Pizik Show. I've got a friend here with me that I'm so excited to introduce to you. Her name is Abby Haberman. She's a financial consultant. Now, I know when you think finances, you think, wah, 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 right? These people have no personality, no life. This is not true. Abby is here today to talk about how to figure out your real worth, how to, as she calls it, unload your emotional debt and get out of your own way. And anybody that's ever felt icky or weird about charging money or making money or not having enough money, or there's just so many emotions around money. And that's what I love about Abby is that she's not just your typical financial consultant, financial planner. That's like, give me your money. Let me show you where to invest it, where not to invest it. She'll do that, but she really gets to know you. And it's because she's got such a great story that I really wanted to get her on here to share with you. And not just the story, but how to get rid of that emotional debt and figure out your real worth. So Abby, thank you for being here with me. Well, thank you for having me. Okay, so let's get right in here because this is such a meaty topic. And to stand out from other financial consultants, there must have been something in your life that made you realize that you gotta get to the root of people's stuff when you're handling their money and you're talking to them about money. And not to stereotype women, but we got lots of emotions around a lot of things and especially our money and our worth. So what made you kind of get into this area and really focus and, and the need for this kind of thing? What made you get into that? So my first life was as a psychotherapist. So I'm really kind of blending these two lives. Oh. And something pretty significant happened in 2005. I was a couples therapist and I was getting ready to leave my own husband. And this was a big humiliation for me as a couples therapist to be doing this. And in fact, the next day, my three-year-old son and I were scheduled to move out. And this morning, uh, my husband was leaning over, I was sitting on a couch trying to tie his shoes, but he wasn't wearing any pants. And he was mumbling to himself. And I put my hands on his face and I said, Bill, you're not making any sense. And he took his hand and he put it over my face and he shoved me to the ground. And before I knew what I was doing, I sat up and I slapped him. And nothing like this had ever happened before. So I shot up and I ran out of the room to pick up the phone to call the daycare because I needed to get my three-year-old out of there. But when I picked up the phone, my husband was on with 911, slurring the wrong address to them. So five minutes later, there were three cops at my door and they were at, separated us and asked me all these questions. Did it hurt when he shoved you? Do you have a mark? And I'm saying, no, no, no. I mean, it, this was just one more humiliation for me of living with an addict piled on. And I'm like, no, you can go, yada, yada. What I didn't know 
And what he knew is that when the police show up to your door to arrest you for domestic violence, at least in, um, in Colorado, when they show up to a domestic violence call, they're not trying to figure out if they should arrest you. They're figuring out who to arrest. They're actually legally bound to arrest someone. So after an hour of separating us, they said, uh, you're going to have to come with me. He said you slapped him and he never shoved you and he has a mark and you said it didn't hurt. And off we went to the police station in cuffs in the middle of broad daylight of my cul-de-sac with I'm the resident couples therapist. I am being shoved into the black of a police car and brought to the police station. So when I get there, I, I ask the deputy after a strip search and all kinds of stuff. And I say, when am I going to get out of here? What time can I get out of here? Because my husband is not comp- capable mm-hmm. of taking care of my son. And he said, he looked at me and he said, you're not going anywhere. You're staying overnight. The judges have all left for the day. So that night, I had five friends come and visit me in jail. Two of them were therapists from graduate school. And I looked at my friend Rachel and I said, what am I going to do? And she looked me dead in the eye and she said, this does not define you. Not as a woman, not as a therapist, not as a mother. You are going to go lay down and you're going to pray for your next right step. Mm. And so I went off and I laid down in this overcrowded jail cell, right? Because there's eight women in four bunk beds surrounding me. I'm on the floor of this jail cell in a hard cot. And I want to just claw my skin off because I want to see my son so badly. And the one thing I said I would never do is abandon him. Mm. But I closed my eyes. And I took a deep breath and I started to think. And what I thought was how I never really liked how much older my husband was than me. He was 13 years older. And I never really liked that he wasn't very social. And I never really liked that he wasn't ambitious. And I never come to think of it, ever think I was really attracted to him. And all of a sudden I thought to myself, how in the world did I marry someone who I knew was all wrong for me? Like I went to graduate school for heaven's sakes. How did I do this? Mm-hmm. And then I heard this voice in my head, this voice that had been in my head my whole life. And it said, well, who else is going to love you? Mm. And I realized in that moment that I had been following that voice with every decision I had made up until this day that I am in jail on the floor in total humiliation. And in that moment, I knew I would never listen to that voice again. Mm. And this is when I realized that I had been in my own way, mm. that I began to think about my, my worth mm. and how I had treated myself, my self-worth, and my net worth, which were both non-existent at that time whatsoever, mm. and then my real worth. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I love so many things that like jumped out for me. I love that your friend said this does not define you because we're so stuck sometimes in that way of this is how it has to be. This is just the path I'm supposed to be on. Or sometimes we get in the victim role or we're like, this always happens to me. I can never get a break. But there's all this mindset stuff that messes with us. As you said, your self-worth and your net worth and your financial worth Right. But I love that it was like, so what was that, 13 years ago, if I'm doing the math correctly? Yeah. Yes. It was like you made that, that was like your do or die moment. 
where yes. like things are going to change. And maybe, I don't know if you knew at that time you were going to go into financial planning and no. dealing with that, but it's like that theme of worth came up for you in that moment that was like the lowest of the law. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, like I'm just getting those visuals of like you being with a little white picket fence or like in your cul-de-sac, right? right. Like, you know, keeping up with the Benjamins and it's like everyone's sipping their coffee in their pajamas, grabbing their paper. And here's little Abby, you know, getting shoved into the back of a police car, you know, like it's just, yep. holy moly. Like sometimes we hear these stories of people and you would never think that that was somebody's past or, and that was something that, you know, happened, but that's just such a powerful story of owning it, like owning your own worth and owning your own life. And that's now taking you down the path to teach others how to do that, right? Right. right. So it's like, not only are you a financial consultant, but your message is bigger around people unloading that emotional debt and getting to that real worth. So what is like the first thing that somebody needs? Like, what was the first thing you did? So I'm not listening to that voice. You're like, what's the first thing that somebody needs to do if they've hit that, like, this is my come to Jesus moment and things have to change. What's like the first thing they should do? Well, the first thing, you know, that, that I think it's important to understand is, you know, understanding like the definitions of this stuff. So mm. the, so in, in business, right. In finance, your financial net worth is your assets minus your liabilities. So you have what you have, you have what you own and then you separate what you owe and then you have your net worth. So if you're, if you have a million dollars of assets, mm-hmm. but you owe $500,000 on your house, you're, you've just cut your net worth in half. You're not worth a million. You're only worth 500. Okay. So that number, your net worth, your financial net worth is variable based on how much you paid off, how much you're saving, that changes. Yeah. And what I realized is what's interesting is when you formulate other types of worth. And so when you think of your self-worth, yep. I think of that as your intrinsic value. So who you are as a physical, emotional, spiritual being, your thoughts, your values, your feelings, who you are. Mm-hmm. But when you add in that toxic voice in your head. In my case, it was the one that said, who else is going to love you? Mm. And then you add in the outside chatter. In my case, it was, well, it's time to get married. You know, you're a loser if you're not married. Mm-hmm. When you add those things in, you take your intrinsic value plus your toxic voice plus the outside chatter. And guess what? You've just cut your self-worth in half too. Yeah. How much of your self-worth do we as women allow ourselves to evaporate every day? Some days it could be all of it, depending on how, how much we're listening to those voices. Mm. So very much later. I mean, I wish I could tell you that I walked out of jail that day, like yeah. full of forgiveness with a Wonder Woman suit on. And, you know, I did not. That did not happen, right? That did not yeah. happen. Yeah. But many years later, what happened is that I began to think and understand my real worth. Mm. And your, your real worth is always there. It's not variable like your self-worth and your net worth that goes up and down. Your real worth is just there if you only have the courage to get out of your own way. And when we do, when we unload these these emotional liabilities and and emotional debts, and we live inside our real worth, our self-worth and our net worth follow suit. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go. I was going to say like, that's just such a huge, like, 
it puts so much peace to how things need to change in your life. Like you're like, oh, there I go telling myself I'm stupid again. Or, oh, there I go. You know, like sometimes we have these thoughts that get in our brain on the regular, but we keep going, oh, that's not important. Or, oh, fuck it. Or, oh, there I am again telling myself, you know, I tell myself I'm fat in the morning when I look in the mirror and then I see my reflection, you know, in the store window and I tell myself I'm fat again. And we fluff it off like right. it's nothing. But that, right. not that piece to like almost like a bank account. It's like yes. you withdraw every time that happens. That's right. You're you just withdraw some money. That's right. You withdraw some worth. You just took some worth away. That's right. And so you're, but you're, the great news is that your real worth is static. It's not variable. So it, it, it's always there for us to access. So, so as an example, like when I think about in, a, my, in the financial industry, for example, there's an investment gap in our country. Men invest more than women do. And this is a great example because studies actually show that men and women equally do not understand financial jargon. Like neither one of them understand it any better than the other one. Yeah. But men will go ahead and invest and women will stuff money in their mattress. Now, you know, it's hard to say why, like I have some hypothesis, right? Like, you know, well, men will drive around for hours without asking for directions too, you know, so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. But when I think about it, I think, well, you know what? Men also tend to have a little bit more self-confidence sometimes. And so maybe they're in a place where they say, you know, look, I don't understand every facet of this, mm -hmm. but I trust myself enough. And I know that this is in my best interest to have my money working for me. Mm -hmm. that I still have the courage to move forward, even though I don't understand everything that they're talking about. They're certainly not going to ask for clarification, right? Because right. they're not right. So um, women, on the other hand, I think if they don't understand it, they don't want to ask for clarification because they don't want to bother anybody. Right. And then they don't trust themselves enough to move forward. And women hold 51% of the personal wealth in this country. Wow. So, Yeah. So by 2020, it's expected that they're going to hold 67% of the personal wealth in our country. So where we put our money matters. We are driving the economy. We, the financial decisions we make really matter. And another thing that's, you know, important about that is that men's net worth is higher. One of the reasons is because they invest more than women. Mm. But 80% of men die married and 80% of women die single. Wow. So... We live longer, yep. we get paid less, yep. and we invest less. Hmm. That's like three big strikes against us. So getting our arms around our real worth so that we can increase our net worth mm. and our self-worth is super important. Mm. And it's like there's work involved with that. As you said, you would love to say that you stepped out of jail, you busted out, and you were like, I had my come to Jesus moment, and now everything in my life is going to change. Right. No, there's work involved, yep. but it's a decision. Like, I am worthy. Like, you're like, your real worth is not variable. You're like, I am worthy. Confidence, like you said, men invest more than women do. That's a confidence thing where it's just like, I got this. Six, projected to be 67% of driving the economy. Like, and the funny thing, the most hilarious thing is that women, studies actually show that when women do invest, they do a better job than men. Probably because we research more, right? Yeah, they don't make as impulsive decisions. They don't, you know, so it's such a paradox. Yeah. It's like so, women got to own it. Like Beyonce said, women run the world, right? Exactly, right, exactly, exactly. I believe that. So first, 
steps like belief is like what's jumping so the out. First, the first step is to hear your productive voice. Mm. That's the first step. So in my story, the productive voice was the one who said, hey, this guy's too old for you. You don't like that. You don't like that he's not social. You don't like that he's not ambitious. That was my productive voice warning me like, hey, you know, there's something going on here. But my toxic voice was much louder. That was the one that was saying, look, if you don't close this deal, who else is going to love you? You're, you know, you're going to be 30. You know, it's like Meg Ryan said in that movie, I'm going to be 40 someday. You know, when you're in the right? Right. So my toxic voice was so much louder. Yeah. So it's really important to get the volume on those voices right. Mm. And one of the things that I suggest people do is that you hear the voice that relates to your value. And I'm thinking about a story, Lisa, a personal story to you recently where this came up as well when you were working with an event organizer who was not as uh, kind, you yeah. know, as you might have been. And your instinct was really telling you something. Mm -hmm. So we hear the voice that relates to your value, the one that if you push through, you're mm -hmm. actually realizing your net worth, the one that makes you stronger yeah. instead of And one really big clue is if the fear that you're having is related to upsetting others, losing relationships, wondering what other people think of you, or doubting yourself, that is probably the toxic voice. That mm -hmm. is not your productive voice. Yeah, that pushes you in decisions that are not good for you. Yeah, that's so ringing true for me, Abby. And it's it's funny. It's like going back to that, like you already know, just because you brought up that example, you're right. It's like the second, I don't even think she said two sentences to me. And my gut was like, run, like, right. no, like, this isn't a woman that respects you or like, you just aren't jiving. Like your personality, her personality just ain't gonna work. But right. right, I stayed on the phone and I heard her out because I had that fear of, like, a, I almost like FOMO. Like, I wanted this opportunity so bad, but then right. when I had the opportunity to sit and think about it, I was like, this is not going to be a good move for me. I better pull away. I started listening to that good voice instead of that fear voice. And so everything you're saying, as you know, is 100% true and real and real life stuff that as women that we go through. So I love that. Hear your productive voice, get the volume right. Get yeah. the volume right. And one of the places where women really do this with finances, they'll say things like, if I try to understand, um, they'll, they'll say, I feel anxious that I don't know where the details of my money is. Mm. Well, that's a productive voice. You should know where your money is invested. That's a productive voice. Yeah. But what the toxic voice often says, and I wrote an article about this for Kipling, or I, I can send it to you if you want. Um, this, the, the toxic voice to them says, if I try to understand this, I still may not get it right, and then I'll look stupid. Mm -hmm. Or if I push my husband on having this conversation again, we'll get into a fight. Mm -hmm. You know, your productive voice is a valid anxiety, and your toxic voice is the one that's just trying to scare you about it. But people, I mean, it's not new. I mean, people talk about that being the ego versus the soul. Yeah. Yeah. This is just the way that, that, I, um, that I talk about it. So that's, that's mm -hmm. step number one. Yeah, I'm hensing there. Uh, I'm feeling there's a step number two. There is. Okay. Step number two is act like you matter because you're the only one who doesn't think that you do. Mm. So once you hear your voice, you have to honor it. I mean, awareness is great, but in the absence of action, you are not unloading debt. You're in your own way. 
So you have to do what's in your best interest, even if it makes you nervous. Mm -hmm. So when, when you ask women, um, you know, what their biggest fear is around money, they will often say it is um, outliving their money. They worry about where their paycheck's going to come from in retirement because mm -hmm. you work like for a paycheck. And then in retirement, yes. your paycheck comes from your investments. Yeah. Right. And they, they worry that, um, that they're not going to have enough to cover their lifetime. And so when I say, oh, okay, well, what's your plan for that? They say things like, oh, I guess I'm just going to work forever. You know, and then they kind of laugh. Right. So is that acting like you matter? Like someone who matters mm. has a plan for themselves. Mm. They have their options. They make choices. So if I asked you, like, how did you decide where you were going to send your son to school? when it was time to send him to preschool. How did you make that decision? Did you just drive by on your way to work and throw him into the school that was closest? No. You did not. No. Right? Right. You probably researched, you researched, and, and why? Why did you go to all the research and all the trouble? Why are you even thinking about this? Why are you going to so much trouble yes. to decide where your son should go through school? Yeah, because it matters, his education matters, his experience matters, the teachers matter, the curriculum matters, his learning matters, like, it matters. It matters because 20 years down the road, you want him to be in a good position. You want him to learn what he needs to learn to get into the right school, to get the right job. Yeah. Well, why, why wouldn't we pay attention to our 20 years from now? If we're putting all this work into our kids 20 years from now, why wouldn't we put, take an hour, you know, or two, a few meetings to sit down and really look at how our income is going to last over time? Yeah. And so, so when, when we, in our office, um, we do something what's called an income plan. And mm -hmm. not all advisors do it, but you should find one that does. So the income plan basically is a detailed plan that tells you where your paychecks are coming from. We look at all of everything that's coming in over the years and we look at how taxes are going to affect it and we say, okay, what asset are we going to draw from first and mm -hmm. how much needs to come out and what are the tax implications of that and mm -hmm. how long is that, that asset going to last and then where are we going to draw from next? And we do mm -hmm. this early on, right, before, you know, ideally before retirement so that if there's a uh, deficit, mm -hmm. we can solve for that before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have women who are worried about their income in this case, their productive voice, their intuitions talking to them. And we have good reason for them to worry because 80% of them are going to die single. Um, <laughs> they'll most likely be the owner of their financial plan. Yeah. And we have women who aren't taking charge of the situation. They're acting like they don't matter. Yeah. So you can hear your voice, but if you don't act like you matter, you're not living in your real worth, which is static. You're yeah. in your own way. Yes. Yes. Listeners, did you hear how fired up she got? <laughs> was like, I was going to stop you and I just kept you going. Someone <laughs> who matters has a plan for themselves. That's yes. like the mic drop quote. Someone who matters has a plan for themselves. Someone who matters has a plan for yourself. And I love that because that can relate to anything in your life, whether that's a fitness plan, a health plan, a wellness plan, a relationship plan, bring a date night back, self-care plan, money plan. You're right. When it matters, you make a plan. And the second thing that jumped out for me was 
I think, and this is just my opinion, a lot of fear is there when you don't know what the plan is, right? Like you said, yes. you can just say, oh, I guess I'll just work forever, ha, 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 right? But that fear that you're like, I don't know, we don't do that. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I need to do that. Like, that's such a good idea that you're like, you're, you know, you think, oh, I'll worry about that when I'm 60 or you know, I'm only in my 30s. I'm going to worry about that, that yet. But you think about how much fear and worry and anxiety you can just cut right out when you're like, I got it. We're going to pull from this first and then we're going to pull from this or this is how much projected we're going to have. So right now I got to get this, you know, you got to plan there so that there's no, as much as you can handle or as much as you can control, there's no big what ifs and no big epic things that you didn't maybe plan for. Or maybe if those epic things happen, then maybe you're still going to plan. You got to plan B and plan C, right? But right. that's so huge that it's like, yeah, when you matter, you have a plan. When you matter, you have a plan, right? Yeah. And, it, and if you can't hear that voice, you know, telling you, um, you know, I'm nervous about where my money is. You know what? What if you're subjected to a 2008, you know, and you don't yeah. even know. Yeah. Now in your 30s, maybe you can weather that. But in your 50s, maybe yeah. you can't. Yeah. So... Yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So is there a right time? Like, is this like a, you should be doing this? Like me, I'm 36. I'm like, should I be doing ASAP? Or when's the right time to start doing all this? I, yes, I don't think there's ever a bad time to do this. I don't think there's ever a bad time to do this. Now, typically, you know, when you have a certain level of assets, maybe it makes more sense to be working with someone because mm -hmm. you're paying. If you don't have any money, mm -hmm. you know, um, then maybe you sit with someone just to get a basic plan, which is like, hey, max out your 401k, get all yeah. the benefit you can out of that. You know, look yeah. at your budget, look yeah. at how much you can save over time. Right. And, and then you do that for a few years until you have some money amassed. Yeah. And then, you know, then you look more to work with someone around, you know, can they manage that for you? But mm -hmm. absolutely 36 is definitely not too young, no way, shape or form. And you know what, you can meet with financial advisors for free. I mean, they, yeah. they will meet with you the, for free. They get paid. Most of them get paid by money under management. So if you go in and they do some kind of an income plan for you and they show you how this is going to last over time, but you maybe don't have enough money yet to, uh, for them to work with you, you know what, you still, you get your plan, you get, okay, I know that I just got to start socking money away. Yeah. And when I get to this level, you know, then I can go and work with someone else, but you've got answers to your questions. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And certainly in your forties and fifties, for sure. Like that is a sweet spot in your fifties when you've saved some money up, but you're 10, 15 years out from retirement. You yeah. really have got to get in there because, especially because that's the time where you can't afford to have a 2008 because you're retiring too soon. Totally, for that. totally. Because I often think about that. I'm like, from past jobs I worked, like in the hospitals, I have like pensions and I've got, I got a 401k from when I was in the US and then up here in Canada, we call them RRSPs and I've got those yeah. things and I've got tax-free savings. And so I'm definitely saving and I've got stuff in like all these areas but an exact plan of like how that's all going to work is huge because I will say that I'm like, I have money in a whole bunch of different spots, but I still do worry if I'm going to run out, even though I started investing at the early age of twenties, you're right. That is a valid thought that I'm like, I don't really know what I pull from first or what the plan is, or if I'm saving enough, if I'm putting enough away or right. So that's just such a helpful 
tip that well, people know they got out. And a way to a way to think of just what you're talking about, Lisa, is you think about like if you go to a symphony, when you get to the symphony early, yeah. the instruments are warming up and it's like a mess, right? It like you just hear yeah. all these random sounds, every instrument's doing its own thing, tuning up and everything. Yeah. And then the conductor comes out and he, he starts it and everything works together beautifully. And your example is perfect of how so many people go through. They've got an old 401k that's in the market. It's not being managed. It's going to go up and down with the market. They've got some money over here. They've got some money over there. Yeah. Every investment is not working together. And a plan means that your investments are also working together. So you have an idea of your income plans, but they're also, you know, am I – Am I the right risk tolerance? Do I have the right amount of money, you know, safe and the right amount growing for my age and stage and my own risk tolerance? Mm-hmm. There's so many pieces to that. So absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's not enough just to have money in different places. Yeah. You've got to pull that symphony together so it sings. So, you know, when it sings, then you get the output, then you get the paychecks. Then you get music to your ears. Then you get what really matters, spending your retirement the way you want to retire. Yeah, and full disclosure, I'm always afraid of sounding silly. So I'm like, oh, Eric, you just deal with that. Oh, Eric, you just plan that. My husband, Eric, I'm like, oh, Eric, you just this and that. But according to your statistic, I'm going to outlive him. So I don't know what the heck's going on. So this is empowering me to get my butt in gear and understand it because I matter. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, is there a step three? Yes. So step three is uh, control your urge to control. Mm-hmm. So I feel like women as in general, we tend maybe to be a little bit more on the controlling th- side of things. Um, and we get in our way when we do that. So first, by virtue of focusing outside ourselves, um, we are totally checked out from what's going on inside ourselves. Mm-hmm. And we're not paying attention to our own needs and responsibilities. And so that is like, you know, when we're so concerned with our kids' future, but not our own. So, you know, as an example, like I have this fantasy that I can control my husband's punctuality or lack thereof. (laughs) And so I used to spend copious amounts of time turning clocks forward, shouting out the minutes until we're leaving, 10 minutes, five minutes, you know, setting alarms and all this kind of stuff. It took up a lot of my time and I usually didn't have time to get my own makeup on. And it resulted in my feeling frazzled and irritated and then victimized when he was, of course, late. Because I, in truth, do not have control over whether or not he's going to be late. But worse, he really didn't like being micromanaged. I don't know if you know this about men. They really don't enjoy it. And so this, in turn, made him mad. And then, worst of all, the self-loathing set in. I hated my behavior. I hated that he was mad at me. My self-worth just evaporated. I had just withdrawn from my real worth, right, from my self-worth. So I believe that women, we think that we can control things that we can't. Mm -hmm. And in our effort to try and control everything, we fail to control the things that we can. Mm -hmm. And it's really no different when we come to women in finances. Mm -hmm. So a really important thing to note is that we don't have control. Like, for example, you just said, I think I'll feel silly if I talk about it. So we might not have control over those feelings, over our insecurities. Mm-hmm. We don't have control that we, you know, worry that we're stupid or that we're fearful or that we're lazy or that we're bored by finance. Mm-hmm. We feel all kinds of things all day long and we can't stop that. But what we must do is behave differently around these emotions, both in life and in finance. 
So, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, right. So I have a client who, um, as she's gotten older, her tolerance for losing money has changed, which of course it should. Right. Yeah. And in this case, because we also can't control the stock market, mm-hmm. it's sometimes a good idea to go with an insured investment, something that's guaranteed not to go backwards. Yeah. However, this was a new idea to this client. She hadn't done these investments before and it was causing fear and the fear paralyzed her and no amount of education around these assets was allaying her fears. Mm -hmm. So in her effort to control her fear, Mm -hmm. she said, okay, let's just stay in the market, but we'll get more conservative in her accounts. Mm -hmm. So when you get more conservative in your accounts, yes, you have less, less to lose, but you have less to gain. Yeah. So now she's conservative accounts. She, she can't make as much as she used to, mm-hmm. but she can still lose money. And oh, by the way, she's paying extra fees to try and protect this money in the market. Wow. So she's not a state client. We happen to be in her state. So we, we sat down with her and I asked her, okay, so at this point, how much are you able to lose? How much can you tolerate losing? And she said, none, absolutely zero. I can lose zero right now. I have no tolerance for losing money at all. And I said, okay, so we gave you a plan that would allow you not to lose any money at all. You'd be totally safe. You could take some part of the upside. You wouldn't lose any money. Currently, the way you're invested, you can't get any more than the upside we're offering you. Mm -hmm. And you can still lose money and you're paying more fees. So I'm scratching my head like, what, what's going on? And she said, I just can't make a decision. Mm. And so two things here. First, indecision is a way of trying to control something that isn't in your control. Mm-hmm. And two, indecision is a decision. Yes. You, you know, doing nothing means choosing, in this case, to stay in the market mm-hmm. and staying there as an effort to control fear of, you know, unknown, right? So she's in her own way. So we had to really get to the bottom of what what this control issue was and what the fear was doing so she could, you know, step back and be able to do what was in her best interest. Yeah, that's so huge. And that's why I love you, because it's like other planners would probably just be like, okay, that's your plan. That's what you want to do. Sounds good even knowing long-term that that's not going to serve her best, right? Not a lot of people want to delve into this land of emotion that, as you said, that happens all day long and we can't control. Not a lot of people want to dive into that, but that's where you have to get to be able to have the real change and for her to make a decision and get through that. I love that how you said indecision is a decision. And this, this is the bigger one. Indecision is trying to control something that you can't control. And maybe the first step is asking questions, right? Like, it's kind of funny because like in other areas of my life, I have no problem being like, I don't understand that. Someone needs to explain that to me. I don't get what I'm supposed to be doing. I need more clarification. Can you tell me that one more time? And it's like, you're giving people permission to ask as many questions as they want. Or to, like you said, act like you matter because you're the only one who thinks that maybe you don't. And someone who matters has a plan. So if you got to ask a bajillion questions to understand what you need to do in order to make a, a choice and a decision, then you're saying, do it, ask the questions or do whatever you need. Like let's, let's unpack this. And as you said, in the very beginning to relate it back, let's unload this emotional debt so we can kind of understand what the real worth is and the, what the real issue is so that right. we can 
so that you can do what's in your best interest. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And sometimes you're so in it that you don't even know that you're in it. And that's why it helps to have consultants, mentors, coaches, other perspective, other people in your life that are here to like, I think sometimes as women, we think we have to know it all. And we think that, right. we, think that we have to have it all figured out and that we have to know every single step of the plan. And that's not always the case, right? You just have to know that you can ask questions or know the first step or know that you just need to talk to somebody. Well, right. And the, wor- and the worst thing about that, I think, is that when we don't, when we, we think we have to be perfect and when we're not perfect, we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. So in this case, it's, well, I'm just going to put the money under my mattress. Well, guess what? Then your money isn't going to grow. Then you're not going to keep pace with inflation. Then you've got all kinds of other problems, you know? Uh, yes, totally, totally. Wow. I love that. So going back to review your three steps and guys, if you're driving you're not able to write this down. I will put this all in the show notes for you. But number one, it's hear your productive voice. Make sure you get the volume right on the good voice and the not so good voice, the toxic voice and the positive, productive, amazing voice. Make sure you're tuning those volumes right and that you're hearing that productive voice. Number two, somebody who matters has a plan. Act like you matter. Act like you matter because you do. And number three, which Abby, I think you wrote for me and pretty much every other woman that's out there, control your urge to control, right? Because indecision is trying to control something that you can't control. And it's funny because I just wrote a blog post today about burnout. And when I was looking at why people get burnt out, it's not because they're doing 4,000 things. It's because they're doing 4,000 things because they feel like they're not in control. So it's like they're grasping at a thousand different things, trying to get it all work. Like you said with the symphony, it's like, it's just mass chaos and you're trying to get everything to work and it just doesn't work. It's like you're losing control and that's what leads to burnout. So I love that your last one is control your urge to control because yeah, there's some things that you, you got to know what you can't control and what you can't control. And you got to be, you only have so much energy in this world and you got to go and put your energies towards. Right. 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 And in, is in your case of the symphony and having assets everywhere, that's something you can control. Yeah. 100%. 100%. So realizing that, realizing your worth, realizing your real worth, as right. you said, isn't variable. It right. is what it is. So make those plans, ask those questions control what you can control let go of what you can't control and that's going to help you get out of your own way boom mic drop and abby how can they get in touch with you if someone wants to see how you can help them or do you got a website email facebook like what's the best way for them to get in touch with you yeah, my email is probably the best way. I do have a website that is going under construction soon. Havermanfinancial.com. <laughs> and my, my email is abby, A-B-B-Y, at havermanfinancial.com. And Haverman is H-A-V as in Victor, E-R-M-A-N-N. And, of course, they can always call the office as well at 303-463-463. 0436. Nice. Awesome. Yay. So guys, don't worry again. If you didn't get that, I will put Abby's email, phone number, the whole bit in the show notes. And dang girl, thanks for coming to hang out with me on this podcast. Oh, this was fun. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. 
You crushed it. All right, guys, this is one I know you're going to go back to. You're going to listen to again because as Abby said, you know, these voices come up and things happen and some days or years you're rocking it and then sometimes things happen and, you know, it's like control what you can control. You maybe can't control that crappy thing that happened in your life, but you can control coming back to this podcast, doing a reassessment in your life and making those plans to go because you and your life are worth it. All right. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to the Lisa Pizik show for more free business and health training. Go to www.lisapizik.com.